Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. All right, good morning, church. Yeah, we can clap for that. Well, hey, friends, my name is Dave, and I am so grateful to be with you this morning. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to say a special welcome to some of the college students. I see you back visiting your family, and I hope you haven't outstaged your welcome so far. We love having you here at your church home. Friends, Christmas season is now upon us. Can we give it up for that right there? Come on. Okay. Moment of honesty. How many of you started to kind of snuck in the Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Is that... Okay, my people. All right, beautiful. I love it. Just, it's good to know who the true believers are in the room. Hey, we are just jumping in full, full blast. In fact, we're going to start the Christmas season with a piece of writing that was written over 2,700 years ago. That's, that's 27 generations. I bet most of us in this room could not name back four generations of ancestors. We're gonna go back 27 generations to this beautiful piece of writing that sets the stage for the Christmas narrative. But before we do that, let me just start with a question. What do you hope for? What do you hope for? What do you, maybe you've asked this question to some little ones around you. Hey, what do you hope for for this Christmas? Or what do you hope for uh, in the new year? What do you hope for in your job? What do you hope for? Some of us are saying, I got some hopes for next Thanksgiving meal. I want some people to not make certain meals. Certain conversations need to be kept off limits. I got hopes for that. What are the things that we hope for? This word hope has probably been a little bit overused or maybe even misused interchangeably with those words like wish, want, expect. It's lost a little bit of its its meaning, and yet it's retained retained its nature in the very fact that we uh, as people have desires. We've got desires on all levels. And it's in light of that that I wanna pray before we jump into the message. So God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for those who are gathered on campus. Thank you for those watching in family rooms, maybe some on vacations with loved ones. God, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. And God, I pray for those maybe joining us for the first time ever. God, would you, would you just speak to them in a very specific way? God, would they know that they're, they're welcomed here, but more importantly, they're welcomed before you. And God, for the, for the many of us maybe who call this their church home and, and are plugged in, God, as we approach this season, God, I pray that it wouldn't simply be another season, but that, God, we would constantly be joining our heart closer to your heart. So we ask your blessing. Amen. All right, I thought I'd start with a little positive, uplifting, encouraging article from Psychology Today called The Seven Downsides of Hope. Can we go there? Here we go, seven downsides of hope. Number one, hope can be an inherently biased ideal. Okay. Number two, hope can set us up for disappointment, and defeat. Number three, I didn't make these up, by the way, so don't email me. Number three, hope can hamper us from adequately preparing for negative outcomes. That's interesting. I'm seeing some like, okay, fair. Number four, hope can be like prayer, wishing for something rather 
than more forcefully working towards it. Number five, hope can encourage you to forfeit personal power and control. We don't like that. Number six, hope can be a tool of self-deception. I wonder if that's what people think of us as believers sometimes. Number seven, lastly, maybe most obviously, hope can set us up for hopelessness. Hope can set us up for hopelessness. It's kind of a cute list. And by the world's economy, it might hold some like some truth to it. But by God's economy, the story is much different when we look at hope. Christmas is God's grand hope narrative coming to life for the whole world. It's this, it's this grand narrative that began in Genesis and comes to the fruition in the New Testament. It's this, uh, in fact, in this season, we'll spend the next four weeks preparing for the arrival of Jesus' birth. And the churches often use this word, this, uh, this Latin word, Advent. Maybe you've heard it if you've been around the church before. And Advent simply means arrival. And so in this season, starting this Sunday, we prepare for the arrival of Jesus as a human, as a baby. In a world of yearnings and disappointments, in a world of hopelessness and, and just that deep desire, come to a scripture in 1 Peter 1, 3 to kind of set our barometer. It says this, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again into a, a living hope. I've never heard people commonly talk about hope as a living hope. The big idea this morning is this. Worldly hope reveals, worldly hope reveals the need for God-hope-filled arrivals. Now hang with me here. Worldly hopes, they reveal something and what we discover in scriptures, it reveals our need for God's hope-filled arrival in the person of Jesus. Now, here's the deal. I have tried and I have tried to reach contentment in the worldly paths and the worldly offerings. And I've experienced some incredible things, but each time I've come to the conclusion that it's not the sustainable contentment that my soul somehow yearns for. And I, I presume many of us have experienced that same thing. I'd ask you guys this question. What's, what's our relationship with hope? What's, what's your relationship with hope? I think hope is the new currency of life, right? We avoid things that withdraw hope from our lives, or we avoid certain people that withdraw hope. We avoid opportunities at the very mere possibility of rejection, of losing some hope, we avoid applying for things or speaking up at the, at the cost of it costing some of our hope. And on the flip side, we're attracted to things that deposit more hope in us, aren't we? You all know those people. Maybe they're in your family who just somehow, by rubbing shoulders, by talking with them, you feel more hopeful. We're attracted to clicking on articles that bring hope for our lives or advertisements that bring hope of a better future or a better season, seven days to six pack. We all click on, we, we all have got hopes in our lives that we pursue. 
we're all, we're all waiting on some hopes, some trivial and some, some very serious. Every day I walk into my house right now, I've got this, this little three-foot-tall Santa Claus, this little wooden Santa Claus, and it's, um, it's got these blocks in it with numbers. It's a countdown to Christmas Santa, all right? And so every day you gotta like rotate the blocks and it updates you on how many days till Christmas. We're all, we're all waiting on things. And we know what it's like to have a countdown. Maybe you've got one of those chocolate advent wreaths, right? You know what it's like to count down and to wait for something. But the more difficult things in our life that we're waiting for count up. Where we enter into the, the waiting seasons of our life and you're, you're waiting for that relationship with your kids to be mended. And it's not a countdown, it's a count up. You're waiting to find that right job to provide for your family. You're, you're waiting for finding that special someone that God has for you. And it feels like the clock just keeps turning. Maybe you're waiting for healing and you're not sure when that healing is gonna come. You're waiting for your kids to get back on the right path, to beat some of the, the addictions that are, are handcuffing their life. Probably some of the most difficult things for us to wait on don't have a clear or concise ending point. So we find ourselves in the, in the waiting rooms of life. And if I were to be honest with you, I think the hardest thing is that many of us have gambled and lost so much of our hope. And many of us, maybe you can relate, don't have to raise hands, are, are actually quite nervous and afraid to hope again. You ever find yourself in that place where it feels too difficult to rekindle some hope for the next season? Here's the good news. In Romans 15, 13, the author says, may the God, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, how? So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, not just have some hope, but that you may abound, that we may be people who overflow in hope. I, I love this news. And so this morning, we're gonna unpack three aspects of God's character, three aspects of godly hope that really has daily implications for the way we live our lives. And, and look, I'm not gonna try to convince you of God's hope over the world's hope because it really wouldn't be a competition. But today, we're gonna unpack three upsides of, of embracing and realizing and stepping into God's hope over the worldly hopes that so easily surround us. And so the starting place for the Christmas story is that letter written 2,700 years ago by this man named Isaiah. Isaiah is considered one of the, the greatest Old Testament prophets. And a prophet simply means to be a, a mouthpiece for God. I say simply, that's a very large job title, to be a mouthpiece for God. You don't, you don't wanna mess that one up. 
And so here we have Isaiah, and and truth be told, you would know that he didn't want the job. He tried to say no to God. He had a great job. He was a scribe in the royal courts. He's like, this is cushion. Now I gotta speak for God. And oftentimes prophets were just hated and kicked out of their city and crucified themselves. And so here he is. God's called him to be a prophet to bring an extremely important message. How important? Isaiah's job is to tell of God's salvation for people through the Messiah, the coming Messiah. Some of you, if you're newer to church, are like, isn't that the New Testament? It is. And so seven years before Jesus would actually walk this earth, God spoke through Isaiah to give people clarity of what God was doing for humanity. It's helpful to know that Isaiah is prophesying in a time where the Assyrians were constantly attacking Jerusalem. And so the people he's speaking to and writing to are under just this like constant threat, constant attack, constant oppression and decay and exile. So the climate wasn't wonderful. In fact, Isaiah would be a prophet over the reign of five different kings And he writes this. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah. We're going to start in chapter 7 for a brief moment, and then we're going to flip to chapter 9. It says this in chapter 7. Isaiah, speaking for the the Lord, says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And in our waiting, don't we often want a sign? He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. That should have caught the audience off guard. There was not a lot of talk of virgins conceiving of a son. We skip to chapter nine, and in verse two, he says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. Verse six, for to us a child is born, and to us a son is is given. Isaiah's writing and he's saying, look, as hope arrives like light in darkness. Hope arrives like light in darkness. If I think about the imagery that Isaiah gives us, I can't help but think It's not in the absence of darkness that light arrives. Light arrives in the presence of darkness. I I can't help but think that's not the absence of hopelessness, that God's working out his plan for us. Recently, um, heard this analogy, the speaker sharing, and she she painted this picture of a prison cell, large prison cell. Um, And she actually asked us to close our eyes. If you want to close your eyes and just enter there, Uh, If you trust the person next to you, close your eyes and go there. And she talks about this large, dark prison cell. And in the cell is a little window with some bars on it. And it's just above your eye height. And so for days, weeks, and months, and even years, every day you'd get up from the the dark cell and you'd wander over to that, that one window And you'd kind of get up on your your tippy toes, grab onto the bars, and you would peer out into the light and the beauty that was outside the prison wall. 
every day you'd return to that same window. You'd return to that same light and you'd stare out at it. Months and years go by and the speaker shares, she goes, as beautiful as that light is, if the person in the prison was willing to brave some of the darkness and let that light shine through the darkness, they would discover that on the other side of the prison cell was an open door. You can open your eyes. So often, we're looking at something so beautiful. So often, we, we maybe gather together on Sundays to, to worship God, or you, you, you gather with a small group. This, this last semester, we had over 500 of you in a small group, and you gathered to, to stare and to, to receive light. And as important as those moments are, we realize one day that that light can shine towards a door where we can escape the prisons. And I love Jesus' own words in the New Testament. He goes, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so right now, we, we unpack this text about light and darkness. And I, I wanna say this, it's not just to be beautiful. It's to, it's to lead us towards freedom from some of the darknesses and the, the prisons that many of us, even gathered here, find ourselves living in. A question I'd ask is, what are some of the darknesses that you and I need to let light shine into? It could be scary to let light shine into the dark areas of our lives. Often we're afraid to traverse darkness, and, and yet what a difference a little bit of light, just a little bit of light can make in those dark areas of life. A challenge I've, I've, uh, I've faced, and I think we've all faced, and I know Isaiah's audience right now that he's writing to is facing, is this tension between the kingdom of God's hope and the worldly hopes and desires that surround them. I'm gonna pick back up in Isaiah. I'm gonna reread verse six and then keep going into verse seven. He says this, one of the most climactical messianic prophecies, verse six, for to us, a child is born, to us a son is given. And now from our vantage point, it's easy to understand what he's referring to. Maybe put yourself 2,700 years ago. He continues on, and the, the governments shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, in peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with, with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, bold statements, Isaiah, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Out of the excitement and pleasure of God, he will make this possible for you guys. And everyone's like, typical prophet, excuse me, Isaiah, no. They hear this, and here's what happens. They miss it. They miss it because they, they receive that only through the lens of their current desires. And their current desires were, oh, okay, Isaiah is talking about our next king. And they are going through kings like no one's business. And they think he's just gonna send another earthly king, although this one's gonna be awesome. He's gonna win every battle. We'll take that prophecy, Isaiah, 
And suddenly you see and you experience throughout the Old Testament that people trade long-term vision for short-term vision. They trade kingdom of God's hope for their lives for their world hopes and desires, and they miss what God is doing. It's that tension between kingdom hope and worldly hope. I wanna suggest two kinds of, of hope that we often traverse. Number one are the things that we hope for, and number two are the things that we're hoping in. We've always had things that we hope for, things that we wish or desire or expect. And let me say this, that's, that's perfectly okay. It's perfectly, I've got my own list back at home. Don't, don't you worry. But it's shaky. It's unreliable. It would be a mistake for me to place my hope and my joy and my peace and my, my sense of contentment in those same things. Ready for this? I want you to catch this. Some of you might need to write down. Who our hope is in should be greater than what our hopes are for. Who our hope is in should be greater than what our hopes are for. Hope arrives as someone, not something. If hope arrives as light and darkness, we move now to this idea that hope arrives as someone, not something. Uh, as a pastor, there's many moments where uh, I've experienced myself and others, we, we come to God in prayer. We've got some deep desires and yearnings, very valid things on our lives. And maybe you've gone there where you've got a deep desire in your heart and you go to God, a deep hope, and you go to God in prayer for that hope and you bring it before him every day. Maybe it's for weeks or maybe months, some of us, maybe even years and here's, here's what happens. A couple different things happen. Sometimes that thing, that prayer, will uh, seem answered. We rejoice, we praise God. Sometimes it won't be answered. Or other times we just don't get what appears to be an answer for us. Now, some people, that will leave such a bad experience of prayer, they'll just take a step back from it altogether. Okay, I tried. Replacing my hope and bringing that before God actually left me more hopeless. Now, on the other side, and this is what I've actually experienced more often, is that when you've brought something before God in prayer that you're deeply hoping for, maybe even hoping in, and after praying before God on that very thing for such a prolonged period of time, regardless of the outcome, coming and passing, you continued to pray and connect with God. Why? Because you discovered something greater than the thing you hoped for was the relationship with the person you now can hope in. Does that make sense? And so, so often as believers, we, we, we go to God and God's like, hey, that's fine. I know what you want. Just come to me. And the hope, my hope for you, my hope for myself and my family is that we'll constantly come closer to God in that process and that we trade the things we hope for for the person we hope in. I'll share kind of a, a recent example from my, my own life. And I'm, to be honest with you, it's probably one of the more things I've been most nervous to share with you guys, not, not fully through it. Uh, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Katie, for 11 years. We dated for four years before that. Um, high school sweethearts, shout out. And, uh, you know, we got married and um, 
we lived in Chico and then the Bay Area, and uh, we decided to wait about six years before starting a family. Uh, well, five years, and then God called us overseas to, uh, to do some mission work for like 12 months, and so with Aya, we'll, we'll just delay it. We'll come back, we'll figure out where God's calling us to settle down, it was here, we love it. We settled down and we thought, okay, gosh, we're so excited, let's prayerfully start, start building a family now. Bought a house with enough bedrooms to, to fill, and um, those first few months kinda came and went, and nothing was happening. About a year went by, it's now been seven years of kinda already what felt like a prolonged uh, wait, and God, something doesn't feel right. And so, you know, we go to like a routine doctor's visit just to kind of cross our T's, dot our I's, trying to cultivate some patience in our life. Doctor calls us a few days later and says, hey, c- come on in and meet with us. Um, I, some, some things are gonna be difficult here for you guys. So our stomach turns to somersaulting, as you all have experienced. We go in and we step into the, the waiting room and we meet with him, and he refers us to a specialist, so we, you know, we jump into another waiting room, right? We go meet with a specialist, and they give us some insights, some, some understanding, some education. Hey, it's not hopeless. Uh, here's, here's some steps we can take, and it can work out really smoothly, and so we go, okay, well, let's, let's jump into that process, and so um, after some time has passed, we do this first kind of procedural attempt to kind of help us start to build our, our family that involves a couple waiting rooms in and of itself, times of going to clinic, and we finally get a call. It, it didn't work. We go at it a second time, a couple more waiting rooms, trying to build our family and get the phone call again. Hey, it, it didn't work. They recommend maybe giving this, this, this procedure kind of like a five-attempt tr- five try, and so we keep hitting those waiting rooms early mornings, weekends, all the time, and uh, all the while kind of our hope tank is just, it's just slowly leaking. You know what it's like to have a leak? Finally, we kind of get through five attempts, and um, we are working hard to stay encouraged. You ever been there? And we, um, we're gonna ratchet it up, and the doctor said, hey, you guys are perfect for this thing called IVF. A little more invasive, but super helpful, and uh, God bless modern science for the ways that we can do this. And so we step into that, several more waiting rooms in each procedure to kind of just get to that point. And um, we're kind of hopeful, we're excited, we're grateful to be able to do this. And um, I'll, I'll never forget, we were up in Placerville when we were kind of expecting a phone call on a date. It was a Saturday afternoon, and we get a phone call, and it wasn't the phone call we expected. And they call us to tell us it didn't work after reviewing some test results. Uh, our hope tank's just kind of dangerously going low, to be completely honest with you guys. It's very easy for us to have this picture of a family. Hard to walk by empty bedrooms that you had just bought with the hopes of filling them up and raising kids that will know and serve and love the Lord. And so, of course, we're having all those conversations, seeking wise counsel. Okay, God, how are you calling us to build our family? God, we're open to all ways. And, you know, God, we're, we're open. Lord, what do you have for us? We decided to, to do this IVF uh, again one more time and um, we jump into the process, several more waiting room moments, and uh, we get to, to one of those, those waiting room moments, and uh, they pull Katie back to do like a routine blood test, and I'm sitting there in the waiting room trying to act calm and collected and you know pastoral, responsible, all those things. And uh, 
Katie's gone for like, I don't know, three minutes. And then this nurse pops out and she goes, uh, David, that's my real name, by the way. Uh, David, would you, would you come back here? And I go, oh, that, that's odd. So I jump up on my feet. I come back, open the doors. We're in the hallway of the, like the behind the, the waiting room area. And my wife's just in tears. I'm thinking, oh gosh, does she pass out from the blood? Te- like what is happening? Um, and I come up to her and she says two words I didn't think we'd hear. We're pregnant. We're pregnant. That, that, that was a four-year waiting room journey. And in many ways, it's hard to believe. In many ways, we're still not fully out of it. We're entering third trimester. We're having a baby boy, and we're ecstatic about that. I, I shared that, though, from a place of, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that my hope was in, a, in having a child. That I, there was many mornings where I knew I'd, I'd feel joyful. We'd be doing great if we just had the child, right? The thing that we don't have, it's so easy for us to think if I can just add that to the plate of life, everything's gonna be great, right? And, and so easily I attached my hope there. And then every time I got failure and rejection, every time we just had to take a step back and it was like this painful moment of realizing that all the, the worldly hopes around us are going to drive us towards the one who we ultimately find our hope in, Jesus Christ. There's just no way around it. And even though this story has like a four-year uh, happy ending, it was a, it was a journey of, of brokenness, quite frankly. And all of us have been on journeys of brokenness. I told Katie, man, we used all of our energy just getting to the starting line here. We got a whole lifetime of raising someone who's just gonna test our hope now. <laughs> so I told her, we better figure this out. The journeys that we're on, I'll share a verse with you from Habakkuk. I felt like he was writing it to me. Maybe he's writing it to you. Habakkuk chapter three, it's another prophet in the Old Testament. And he writes this, though fig trees should not blossom. I don't know what you're waiting on. Nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Ooh, what a desire. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of, of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. And maybe, maybe you don't believe that yet, but you need to read that or speak that several times over. You speak that into creation. God is the Lord of my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places, in the moments of weakness, in the moments where hope tanks feel empty because I've been there and I'll probably revisit those at moments. You know what it was? It was the reminder of, of Christ that no matter what's shaking around us, that, that he's firm, he's a firm foundation. And you know what else helped us kind of in that four-year wilderness? It was the, the text messages and prayers of close family and friends. In the moments where we feel hopeless, somebody else reminding us of the promises and the nature and the character of God that you can remain hope-filled in. And some of you have dear ones going through things in their life right now, and you would do anything to help them, but you can't, except maybe help them realize that their hope is in someone greater than their circumstances. It's not to discredit their circumstances, but it's to point them towards the deepest hope available to them. In all the, the, the waiting and the storms of our life, Paul gives uh, an analogy. In the New Testament, Paul gives an analogy of, of how hope can, can physically work its 
its way out. In Hebrews, uh, the, author, the author writes, Hebrews chapter 6, 18. Hold fast. He says, hold fast to the hope set before us. We may have this as a sure instead, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. It's not gonna be on the screen, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Verse 20, where Jesus is gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He says, hold fast to the hope set before us as an anchor. Hold fast to hope as an anchor. I don't know if we have any uh, nautical fans in the room, but uh, setting an anchor is an important part of, of having a boat, especially as you head out on open seas. Point number three, hope arises an anchor for the soul. And many of us, you feel like your life is constantly on open seas. You feel like you haven't seen land in 15 years. And you just feel like the winds are, are rushing all around you. Here's the reality of an anchor. And this picture of an anchor, he gives us, anchors don't erase the storms or run from trouble. He doesn't give us a picture of something that's, that's void of trouble. Hope in Jesus doesn't ignore the fears that we have, the anxiety that we face the sickness and the doubts, the poverty, the abuse, the losses that we've undergone, the depression that you're walking through. Hope in Jesus does not eradicate those things. Hope in Jesus confronts them head on. And it gives us a sure foundation. It gives us something greater than our circumstances that you and I and the world has before them as an opportunity to cling to. I love this picture of an anchor. So I brought one in. Because some of us, some of us need that reminder that your hope should be something that can hold you fast. Something that you can set. In nautical terms, they'll say, set your anchor. If you see someone's anchor and like a, a rope that's just kind of swaying in the wind and it's just, it's not tight, guess what? The anchor's not set. It's just floating through the water. You want to see a, an anchor firmly and tightly taut. And daily, you want to make sure you're resetting that anchor, that you're checking the line. And, and I don't know what it looks like for us to set our anchors, to get close to Jesus, to spend time with his truth and his promises and to let them just wash over us. I imagine today is a moment of setting an anchor in Christ for whatever you're going through. But here's the deal. Tomorrow comes. And on Monday, the question still remains, how will you set your anchor? And then if we think back to the text we just read in Isaiah the prophet starts to describe this anchor of hope. He describes what's coming to those in the Old Testament as a wonderful counselor. You want a wonderful counselor, it's available in Christ. As a mighty God, as the Prince of Peace. All throughout scripture, we, we see these different names of God, ever, everlasting Father. And look, there's, there's so many things in our life that are, are great and they're blessings and they, they bring us joy and contentment. But very few things can anchor us despite whatever storms are around us. And so friends, the challenge is to set your anchors in Christ this morning. God's gift is the arrival, the advent of hope, hope that's light and darkness, hope that's in someone, not something 
hope that's an anchor for our souls, hope that's named Jesus. And this was a chance for those Old Testament listeners to actually receive salvation by believing what God was going to do. And it's the same chance for us today to receive salvation and even more to receive the implications of our salvation, of our faith in Jesus for the storms around us. Now, here's my recommendation. I don't, I don't want you to receive today as like a tug of war trying to convince you to place your hope in Christ over the hopes of the world. I have a better plan. Here's my challenge. If you're, if you're unsure, go ahead and give the world a try. I mean, we all do it naturally. I do it all the time. But go ahead and really try to place your hope in what the world has to offer. Go ahead and pursue uh, the best job. Pursue the perfect looking family. Pursue like riches galore. Pursue the, the next best gadget and see how that works for bringing everlasting joy and contentment in your life. I don't wanna fight you on this one. I don't think God wants to fight. We're banking on the fact that we will discover like I've discovered, it does not last. And the wisest thing I can do is to admit to, to God that I've placed my hope in some of the wrong things in my life. They're not bad things, but they're not the place for my hope. The challenge would be to consider bringing the light of Christ into your highs, your lows, your, your waiting rooms of life. To bring that light that can handle darkness. To bring Christ as an anchor for our souls into, into the waiting rooms. And to think about what it would look like for us to be people who are constantly getting to know the character and nature of God so much so that when everything spirals around us, when you get the bad news, that you realize we could be a people of peace, a people whose hearts are, are tied tightly to something that the world is hungry to understand. That's our opportunity. Last month, our family did this extended family trip to Kauai. Our in-laws kind of helped organize this incredible trip with uh, my sister-in-laws and their families and their kids. And um, we land there, and my sister-in-law, Kim, is uh, just talking to the flight attendants in the back while everyone's like squeezing by to the bathroom. Very fun social area, right? And uh, they're asking her, hey, what are you guys doing here? And, and she's like, well, we're, we're here for our, a family trip. It's been delayed for a year and a half, and now we're doing it. And she goes, who are you here with? She goes, oh, my, our whole extended family. But she, she's just real with them. She goes, like, unfortunately, like, my family is rather cut in half. She lost her husband, my brother-in-law, to pancreatic cancer just a few months prior. And so she says, it's not feeling the same. And then she says, my daughter, Maddie, is studying abroad in Scotland. And so she's got her two teenage boys on the plane up midway. And she goes, it's, it's kind of a hard family trip when you feel like you don't have your people with you, especially for that first family trip. And so the plane had landed. They're having that conversation. I'm overhearing it. And um, what she doesn't know is that over the, the prior 48 hours or so, her daughter, who's supposed to be in Scotland, had a different agenda and was working hard to beat her mom to the island to surprise her all together and to spend that week with her. Check out this video my niece put together. It is currently 3.15 in the morning in Edinburgh. And I am just about to look my flat to head 
to the airport um, to share my 42-hour journey to Hawaii so that I can surprise my mom. Let's go. Very windy and cold outside, so I am very ready for Hawaii. <laughs> this picture. And I loved that moment. But you know what it made me think about? How much more has God gone to great lengths to be with us? How much more has God gone to incredible lengths to be with you? Emmanuel, God with us. That's the hope of Christmas. That's the hope of this season. That's what all the hoopla and lights and Santa Clauses on the lawns should be about that this season is a reminder, a message from God that was, that was written 2,700 years ago. It says, I'm gonna meet you at the arrival gates with arms wide open. And I will go through any length that you would know, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what losses you've gone through, that I love you and I'm here for you. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna take communion. and. Communion is that reminder of God's hope. It's that reminder of God's blood. If you peel back that first layer of the cup, if you're new with us, it's that there's a wafer. And that's gonna be Christ's body broken for us. And then we drink of the cup, the, the juice, and it's Christ's blood shed for us. And really, it is a tangible reminder of the hope you have in that person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so wherever you're at, whatever storm or life or waiting room that you're in this morning, ah, gosh, guys, the opportunity is for you and I to continue to, to fix our sight on Christ as our hope. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the chance to worship you in this house this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your grand narrative that includes us, that you would love us so much that you'd send your son to be light in our darknesses, to be someone far greater than the things of our world that we can place our hope in. And so God, right now, for the person in this room who's maybe never placed their hope in you, God, I pray that you would just connect with them in a very personal way. And if that's you, maybe today you wanna to take a step of placing your faith in Jesus, becoming a Christ follower. And that can look like simply saying today, Lord, I, I wanna receive your hope in my life. It might look like saying, God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, to be a payment for the, the sin, the darkness in my life. God, today I wanna walk through that open door and experience the, the fullness of your hope manifested in my life and on display, Lord, for those around me. So God, now we'll sit with you, Lord, in this time. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.